way. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 23. And uh, we're going to be looking at the life of Moses this morning. The life of Moses. And uh, we all, uh, many of you here, if not all of you here, know his story. Well, we're going to be highlighting some things out of his life. Once you found Hebrews 11 and verse 23, if you would stand for the reading of God's word. And we will read responsively from verse 23 down through verse 29. We'll begin together in verse number 23 and then read every other verse uh, as a group. I'll read the even verses alone. We'll read the odd-numbered verses together. Beginning in verse 23. Ready? Here we go. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the first blood should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians, as saying to do, were drowned. The title of the sermon this morning is this, Leading My Children to Love the Lord. Leading My Children to Love the Lord. I want my children to grow up one day and leave my home and say, I love the God of my fathers. I love the God of my fathers as much or more than my fathers love the God of my fathers. Boy, a lot of children today, we talked about this last week, but a lot of children today are growing up, turning 18, 19, 20, 21, and they're walking away from the God of their fathers. We want to lead our children to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. The sermon today will be for the parents who we dedicated babies, but if you are a parent in the room today or a grandparent, in the room today with influence over grandkids, the message today will be for you as well. We encourage you to listen in. Let's pray this morning. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this time. Thank you for these families. We pray, God, that you would help the message to follow. Lord, may I speak the words that you would want spoken. May I not ramble or, uh, Lord, get off track in ways you would not have me do so. Hide me behind the cross and Lord God, may you be held up and glorified and honored. Lord, may we leave here today collectively worshiping the God who made us and the God who died to save us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Every year we take time out of our service and we make a big deal about the babies that God has gifted our church family. We're blessed. We're blessed to have young families in the church that are doing their part to see our numbers grow. Amen? And uh, some folks, they don't uh, go invite other people to church, but they do their part to populate the church. Amen? And uh, excited about Pastor Andrew and Miss Callie. Good to have Miss Callie's mother here with us today. Miss Callie's baby shower was yesterday, and they'll be doing their part to see the church grow here shortly. Um, uh, I hope that next year, some of you sitting here will have some children to be prayed over in 2022. Let me begin this morning by saying never, ever, ever discount the value of a child. Never. 
Psalm chapter 8, verse 2, David said, Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy in the avenger. Jesus would use that very verse on Palm Sunday when he walked into Jerusalem and the children praised him. God uses the small to confound the large. He uses babies to still or disarm the avenger. Babies today are world leaders tomorrow. Amen? Amen. Babies today are world leaders tomorrow. Uh, Babies today are tomorrow's pastors. Babies today are tomorrow's pastors. There are some of you here today in the crowd. I'm not trying to make anyone feel old, but there are some of you here in the crowd. You were old enough that you could have been my nursery worker, my preschool teacher, Right, my Sunday school teacher when I was in the first grade, second grade, third grade, and now today I am your pastor. And uh, listen, uh, there are children in our church today that very well one day may grow up and be your pastor. I'm speaking to those in their 30s and 40s. And so uh, never, ever, ever, ever discount the value of a child, of a baby. Babies today are doctors and lawyers and CEOs and blue-collar workers that pay the way for their children and grandchildren. One thing is for certain, and that is that time does not stand still, does it? Time marches on. How many of you remember when you had babies in the house and now you have grandbabies running around the house? You know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you are close to having grandbabies running around the house, maybe, right? And uh, you blink and they're grown. Yesterday I took Matthew to the store and we bought him a nice dress tie. And I remember when he was a little guy putting on his first clip-on tie. And now he thinks clip-on ties are baby, for babies, right? He doesn't want to wear those anymore. He wants to wear a real tie. And I, believe, I think, where has the time gone? They grow up so quick. Um, once today is gone, you're never going to get it back. Once today is gone... It's gone forever. You know, with money, you can spend money and then you can go find money to replace the money you spent. But once you've spent time, it's gone. There's no replacing it. It's gone. What you do with your time and how you invest in the next generation will make a difference. I'm speaking to parents today, yes. They're in the trenches right? They're in the trenches. But I'm speaking to those of you that don't have little ones running around your house. All of us have a calling to invest in the next generation. Here at White Oak Baptist Church, we do not baptize babies because it is not biblical to baptize babies. You cannot find one baby in the Bible that was baptized. Not one. I asked a Catholic priest one time, Why does the Catholic Church baptize babies? And he pointed to some verses that were very broad. And I said, but that's not what that says. It says, and their house, but we don't know that there were babies in those houses. And I pressed him and pressed him, and finally he said, well, we do it because it's our tradition in our Catholic Church to do so. We're biblicists at White Oak Baptist Church. If the Bible doesn't tell us to do something, we're not going to do it. Amen? Amen especially something of that nature. In fact, any time in the New Testament you find baptism, it's following a decision to believe. Every time. We believe, then we're baptized. We believe, then we're baptized. 
Uh, I, look, Levi's a sweet kid. Loved holding him. Amen. He's cute. But he doesn't understand. I got an amen from Gavin down here. Um, he doesn't understand that he's a sinner. He can't be baptized because he's not yet believed. So we don't baptize babies. But what we do here is we dedicate our babies. And why do we do that? Well, this concept is taken out of 1 Samuel when Hannah dedicated Samuel to serve the Lord by handing him over to the priest to be raised in the temple. Samuel would become one of Israel's greatest prophets. While it is important that we give our children... Please don't miss what I'm about to say here. While it is important that we give our children over to the Lord, it is more important that parents give themselves over to the Lord. What good is it to have a pastor pray over your baby if you don't model Christian attributes and character traits in front of them for the next 18 years? I'm not some person that has the power to pray a blessing over your child that will undo bad behavior modeled before them. I, I want everyone to hear what I'm about to say. I have no more power in my prayer with God than you, you are able to get. You say, but you're the pastor. Yes, but I have just as much authority with God in heaven as you do. I hold the baby up here and I pray over him as the pastor. But if you don't go model Christian behavior in front of that child, my prayer means nothing. It means nothing. You see, before Elkanah and Hannah could dedicate Samuel to the Lord, they had to first be dedicated themselves to the Lord. They could not lead Samuel to love the Lord if they had not themselves fallen in love with God and, de- and been dedicated themselves to obey with their lifestyles. I propose that the greatest gift of dedication that you can give your child on this baby dedication Sunday is if you and your wife, you and your husband, will dedicate yourself to living by the Bible and modeling its principles to them each day. So let's jump in this morning and look at four thoughts on this topic of leading my children or my child to love the Lord. On the back of your bulletin there, there is a fill-in-the-blank outline. I encourage you to get a pen and uh, fill in the blanks as we go. The, the words will, word of the blank will be up on the screen uh, to help you. Okay, let's jump in here. Number one, notice the innocence of a child. The innocence of a child. Uh, we're looking at the life of Moses this morning. Put a bookmark in Hebrews 11, a piece of paper in Hebrews 11 if you could. Turn over to Exodus chapter 2 with me. Exodus 2 and verse number Six, Exodus 2, verse 6. We know the backstory here is that um, the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. And Pharaoh is worried because the population of the Israelites is growing out of control. The Israelites are having more babies and at a quicker rate than the Egyptians are. And the Egyptian Pharaoh is concerned that one day the Israelites will far outnumber them and they won't be able to hold them down in captivity anymore. And so what does Pharaoh command? He commands the midwives, the Egyptian midwives, looking after the mothers of the Israeli uh, uh, pregnant women, that when a baby boy is born, they're to take the baby boy and they're to throw that baby boy 
into the river and drowned that child and have it killed. And the midwives, uh, they had enough value to life to not do that and to rebel and, and, and to not do that. But all the same, the edict stood. And if you were caught having a baby boy, you could be severely punished. And so Moses' parents gave birth to Moses and he, they did not want to have their baby killed. Look at verse number 6. The Bible says that when she had opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby wept. And she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Well, uh, uh, here we find baby Moses being found by Pharaoh's daughter. What's the backstory here? Well, uh, 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 birth was given to baby Moses, and here uh, Moses' mother is holding him and thinking, I can't have this baby killed. I love this baby. I don't want this baby to die. And so she hides the baby in the house. And when that baby was small and its cry was just a whimper, Boy, they could conceal the fact that they had the baby, but as babies do, babies develop lungs, and babies' cries become louder and louder and louder. And I can remember uh, Matthew and April crying in the middle of the night, and Angela nursed our babies, and so there was little I could do to help, amen? And um, uh, Angela would be in a deep sleep. This didn't happen often, but a couple of times Angela would be in a deep sleep, and Matthew and April's in the other room screaming their head off, and I've got the pillow pulled down over my ears, and I'm thinking, Uh, will you get up and take care of that child? But I was wise enough to not say that. Amen? I like my teeth being in my mouth. Babies develop those lungs and they can scream and cry and there wasn't any more concealing the fact that they had a baby and they were fearful that baby Moses would be caught by the Egyptian army and killed. So what did they do? They took... um, uh, they took and built out of sticks and twigs and leaves, they built a, a, a bassinet. The word for bassinet in Spanish is the word Moises. Moises. It's actually called a Moses. And they took that bassinet and they put baby Moses in it. And during the day, they would put that basket, that bassinet in the river. And uh, uh, Moses' older sister would keep an eye on it. And uh, at night, she would bring it back in the house. And so Moses would float down the river. Well, one day, as uh, fate would have it, as providence would have it, that basket landed right on the shores where Pharaoh's daughter would bathe, right there in the river, right outside the palace. And lo and behold, um, uh, Pharaoh's daughter is there, and she picks up this basket, and she opens the lid, and it's baby Moses. And she thinks... This is one of the Hebrew boys. Oh, and she takes him out and she goes inside and she says, Daddy, I found a baby in the river. Can I keep it? Right? And uh, I can see uh, Pharaoh thinking, oh, man, I, you know, I, it's almost like, you know, when someone finds a, an animal on the road and brings the animal in, Dad, can I keep it? Can I keep it? And, and uh, Pharaoh didn't have the heart to tell her no. And so um, uh, Miriam says, to Pharaoh's daughter, she says, listen, I know a lady who could help take care of the child during the day and could nurse the child. And so now Moses' mother is being paid to take care of her own baby and her baby is going to get raised in the palace. How wonderful is that? How great is that? The innocence of a child. Uh, um, uh, he wept because he was innocent of the lurking evil The word in Proverbs for innocent to describe children is the word simple. Simple. Now, when children are born, they are a blank 
piece of paper. They are a blank piece of paper waiting for influences to write on that paper. Mom and dad, you would be wise to write as much on that blank piece of paper as young and as often and as early as possible and to continue to hold on to the heart of that child. And please understand that the older your child gets, the more independent they become. I have a graph here I'd like to put up on the screen for you to show you just what I mean, all right? Uh, When a child is born, age zero or newborn, they are 100% dependent on mom and dad. You know what newborn babies can do? Josh and Lizette fully understand this right now. They can eat, they can sleep, they can cry, and they can go to the bathroom. That's it. They are completely dependent on mom and dad to do everything else for them. And then you know what? When they turn about five, they are about 90% dependent on mom and dad. All right? Mom and dad then begin to uh, let the child maybe learn how to put their shirt on over their head. Maybe the child knows their ABCs and one, two, threes. And then when a child turns nine, that child is maybe 70% dependent upon mom and dad. Now the child can feed themselves and the child can get dressed by themselves. There are two days that are very liberating for parents with multiple children. And the, those two days, the first one is when you can say to your kids, all right, go brush your teeth and get in bed, and you don't have to brush any teeth and you don't have to, you know, help them into a crib. Uh, the second liberating day for a parent is when uh, you can say, go get in the car and they can go buckle themselves in and you don't have to, you know, uh, put in any straps and worry about any of those things. Those are very liberating days. When a child turns nine, they're still about 70% dependent. If you left a nine-year-old on their own, probably probably they would not make it very long. All right. Then when a child turns 12, they're about 50% dependent on mom and dad. And then when a child turns 15, they think they're 90% independent, but they're really only 70% independent. How many here have teenagers at home? And they, they think they know they, how to do a lot more than they actually know how to do. And um, I saw a parent of a teenage boy once. He said to his child, he said, he said, boy, do you even know what a mortgage is? Huh? He said, uh, uh, do you know what car insurance is? Do you know the difference between full coverage and liability? What? You know, I tell you what teenagers are good at. They're good at using their thumbs on the video game controller. (laughs) That's what they're good at. And uh, they think they know a whole lot more than that. uh, But most teenagers, that's what they're good at. No, listen, I'm thankful for teenagers who are mature and able to do a lot more. But when a child turns 15... They're about 70% independent, 30% dependent. Now listen, parents, I want to make sure I get this in here. If you helicopter over your child from birth to 18, then when they turn 18, they're not going to be independent. They're going to still be dependent on you. This is why we've got a lot of kids in their 30s who are afraid to go out and live on their own. Because mom and dad did not raise them to be independent when they turn 18 or 21, 18 or 21, you pick the age. By the time that child turns 18, they ought to be zero dependent on you and 100% dependent on themselves to be able to survive in life. And so this is the scale. Now, let me, for the sake of the sermon today, let's look back to the, let's see, left side of the scale. When that child is born, he or she is innocent. He or she needs you to shape them and to mold them. Did you know that if you take a tree when it is just a sprout coming out of the ground and you work with it, you can shape that tree into just about any shape 
you want it to be. Here's some pictures of some uh, various trees that have been shaped differently there. That a bush that uh, circles up and up and up, and the one on the left, they shaped it in such a way to look like it almost has legs. And uh, I found all kinds of other shapes of trees, but for the sake of the message this morning, you get the idea. If you work with a tree uh, when it is uh, just a twig and you shape it and you take the time to spend time with it, you can shape it. But watch this now. As that tree gets older and as that tree gets taller, it becomes harder and harder and harder to shape that tree. I've had parents come to me with a teenager, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, and they say, Pastor, my, my teenager is rebellious. How do I help my teenager? And the truth is, your teenager is a little bit taller of a tree. It is a lot harder to shape that heart because now it has become sort of set in the, in the direction it's going to go. Instead of molding the character at that point, you're just trying to referee the character that's there and, and let the school of hard knocks sort of teach them. Uh, what am I getting at here? If you've got children that are babies four, five, and under, boy, now is the time to begin shaping their hearts. I told Angela this week that when I was um, a young man, uh, Matthew was a newborn, I was, given, uh, I was given the responsibility of teaching a young adult uh, Sunday school class, young married couples Sunday school class. And the class grew, it grew from just a handful of couples to where by the time we left that ministry, anywhere from 40 to 60 people attending every week. And I was challenged in that class because I was the youngest man in the room. And my children were some of the youngest of those in the room. And many of them had teenagers. And I, I felt challenged. I did not know how to counsel a couple that had teenagers because I had not lived through that. And I remember telling Angela, I said, one day my children will be teenagers and I will have the life experience to be able to teach parents how to handle a teenager. And then I said this to her, I said, but you know what? No matter how many tidbits of wisdom we can offer on how to help a teenager, boy, it sure helps if that family started out doing it right when those children were little. Those children were little. Now, if you're here and you've got kids that are older and, and maybe you look back and you can see some glaring errors, I am not trying to throw any stones at you. Please understand, my intentions today are to help those like the parents of Gavin Jr. and the parents of Levi and others in a similar spot to understand it is vital that you get their heart when they're really little and you teach them to love God and you show them to love God and you take them to church and you teach them right from wrong and you discipline and you break down that sinful uh, will that's inside of them to rebel and do wrong and go the other direction. You need to make sure you take care of those things when they're little. Why? Because they're innocent. They're innocent. Number one, the innocence of a child. Number two, notice the influence on a child. The influence on a child. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 uh, with me. Uh, turn back over to Hebrews 11 and look at verse number 24. The Bible says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Now watch this, okay? Moses, from birth 
to about the age four, was raised by his mother during the, during the uh, evening hours, uh, part of the morning hours, and then he was sent to live in the palace. And then uh, at the age of four, he was weaned around the age of four. That would have been the Hebrew culture back then. He was weaned from mother and, and would have moved in full time and began to live in the palace. He would have been given the finest foods, uh, given the nicest room to sleep in, uh, uh, unable to wear the nicest clothes and uh, able to be part of the elitist part of that culture and given the finest of education Moses had it all he was given life with a silver spoon in his mouth yet when he became an adult man instead of choosing to identify himself with the rich elitist of of, of his upbringing Pharaoh and, and, and Pharaoh's daughter he said no I'm going to divorce myself from this I'm going to disown them and I'm going to identify myself with a group of people that are suffering and struggling. Now, why would Moses do that? Why would Moses, uh, logically that doesn't make sense. Why would Moses do that? I'm going to tell you why I believe Moses did it. Because in the developmental years from birth to four years old, his mother had his ear and his mother had his heart. And his mother taught him to love God and love the people of God above all. And what his mother did from birth to four could not be undone from four to adulthood. Mom and dad, you need to understand that you are the number one influence on a child. When you are casual about God and the Bible and church and you model that in front of your kids they get the message loud and clear. When you model in front of them that making money and living an American dream and having it all, even when it means neglecting them from time to time, is more important than anything else in the world, and you simply give lip service to God and church and the Bible, they hear the message loud and clear. I'm the son of a Christian school administrator. My whole life I grew up with my dad running private Christian schools. And uh, my dad was my principal, which meant when I got in trouble, every other kid got a warning. I went in his office and got a spanking. Amen? That's how it worked. And so uh, I love my dad and thankful for my dad. And uh, my dad, Christian school administrator, I can remember many, many, many days over the years of him doing that. I would come home from school and my dad would just be exasperated. He'd be frustrated. Uh, and uh, he would he would tell my mom, I'd hear you know, mom-dad conversations, and my dad would say something like this. He'd say, I had a parent come in my office today. The parents were very angry at me. He said, the parents, uh, I had to correct their child at school. We're talking 10th, 11th, 12th graders. Sometimes my dad would have to expel children from school, suspend children from school because of their behavior. And he said, the parent put his finger in my face and said something like this, we've given this school all this tuition money and you can't do a better job than raising our kids in this. My dad would very kindly and sweetly and gently look back at that family and say, we are an extension of you. If your child is not turning out right, maybe you should take a good, long, hard look in the mirror. The days of taking your kid to a Christian school or to a church youth group and saying, here's my kid, raise it. 
No, 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 no. Uh, your child is going to fall to the lowest of one of three levels. And I'm speaking to Christian parents here this morning. What are the three major influences in the life of a child? Please hear this. And I'm speaking as someone who's given this a lot of thought. A lot of thought. The three major influences in the life of a Christian child are the parents, the school they attend, and the church they attend. Children, because of their sin nature, are generally going to fall to the lowest of those three levels. The lowest of those three levels. You make sure that you cocoon that child in influences that teach him or her to love God, and that begins when that child is small. Now, I'm going to say this, and I'll say this very carefully. When Matthew and April were born, I got up in my Spanish church, and I told them, it is vital and important to me that my wife be home from birth to four, birth to five, before they go to school. It is vital and important to me that my wife be home with the kids to pour our morals and values into those kids. I'm not against women in the workplace. I'm for women in the workplace. But I think the Bible is very clear that a woman's first priority is to her, her children and her home. If you can work in the workplace and still take care of your children, I'm all for it. But I felt very strongly, and I'm, I'm delving in a little bit of opinion here. I want to make, be very clear on that. But I felt very strong that Angela stay home with our kids from birth to five. Lo and behold, uh, when they were both under the age of five, I lost my job at the church I was working, and we moved to Terryville, uh, Connecticut, and we moved into a 650-square-foot apartment. And Angela looked at me and said, should I go to work so that we can you know, have something a little better than a 650-square-foot apartment? And I told her, I said, no. When I told the Spanish church that I would rather live in a cardboard box and have you pour our morals and values into those kids than for you to work and have a daycare raise our kids, I meant it. And I'm not saying this today to toot my own horn. I'm saying this to tell you that I stand by what I preach. I went to work driving a truck, delivering tires. I worked overtime. We scraped by paying the bills. We made next to nothing. We had very little. Uh, We had just enough to buy the groceries at Aldi and put the food on the table. Amen. We didn't eat out much, if ever. Uh, We we shopped at thrift stores. We made it work. We made it work. Uh, uh, My mom and dad lived close, and so we ate at their house sometimes. Amen. Um, When we had to. But we made it work. And you know what? My wife poured our morals and values into those kids. Because I didn't want some daycare doing it. One day when your children are 18 years old and they look back over their shoulder, those developmental years, that birth to four, birth to five, boy, you better make sure you have poured your heart and soul into those kids. We've seen the innocence of a child. Number two, the influence on a child. Let me give you an A and a B here. Notice letter A, God's intention. God's intention. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 says, Therefore shall the man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, this verse is repeated five times in the Bible. Five times in the Bible. Therefore shall the man leave father and mother, cleave unto his wife. These they two shall become one flesh. What is the God's order for the home? Now, this is going to be, I've already been politically incorrect this morning, so I might as well not stop. Amen? (laughs) What is God's order for the home? God is the ultimate supreme authority in your home. 
The husband is to follow God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. The wife is to follow her husband as her husband follows the Lord. The children are to be subservient to mom and dad and God. I like to get this in here every time I talk about this. Sir, don't you dare berate your wife with Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit yourselves unto the Lord if you're not going to submit yourself to the Lord to begin with. A lot of husbands want to, the Bible says, woman, you're to submit while you're not submitting to God. You're living, you're living a life that's rebellion to God while you expect your wife to be in submission to you. You make sure that you are following God and you are, you are cultivating a loving spirit within your home. A lot of homes are filled with strife and anger and yelling and screaming, bickering. I think some people are addicted to strife, addicted to anger. That's what they heard growing up, and now they're repeating it, and they're repeating it in front of their kids. Look, I, I've got some growing in this area to do a little bit myself, full transparency. But boy, over the last 14 years of being married, my wife and I have worked real hard at cultivating a culture that's loving and caring and kind at home. You know, this comes, Dad, when you set the tone. I, I want to make sure that I'm an equal opportunity offender this morning. Our culture today has taught men to act like women. But it's also taught women to act like men. Some of you women, some of you women... Jesus Christ himself would come down and try to lead you. You wouldn't follow. You're not leadable. Because you want to be in charge of your home. And your husband's thrown his hands up in the air and said, I can't lead a woman who won't follow me. It's important that the husband lead the wife. It's important that the wife make every effort to follow the leadership of her husband. You say, well, well, you're saying men are better than women. Oh, no, that is not what I'm saying. I'm saying that in any institution, there must be order and structure. And if the two of you are going to compete for who's in charge, no one's going to be in charge. Let's take that attitude to your workplace, right? Walk into your boss's office and tell him that you're equal with him and so you want to be in charge. See how long you have a job. Doesn't work there. Why, you, why do you think it should work at home? Your boss is no more important of a person than you are, but there has to be structure. There has to be structure. If we're going to raise children that love the Lord. We must find a structure that works. Boy, this is so important. You say, Pastor Lejeune, you say this several times a year because it needs to be said, and I probably ought to say it more than I do. We, we must have in our home order because God is a God of order. And Satan is the father of disorder and lies. There's a difference of opinion. Teach your children, ladies, how to defer. Teach your children how to follow. Boy, God's intention is that the husband follow the Lord and the wife 
follow her husband, and the children follow mom and dad. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, we find the first command offered to the, in the Bible. The first command offered in the Bible to a, a married couple, to the home. Genesis 1, 28, the Bible says, And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. God created the family unit. God wants the parents to sanctimoniously be the greatest influence for good and for God in their lives. Letter A, God's intention. Letter B, notice, Satan's invasion. Satan's invasion. 1 Peter 5, 8, the Bible says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Can I just say this after this morning, rather, that Satan hates God? Satan hates everything that God has created? Satan hates you because you are the trophy, the, 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 the top, top, top of what God created. He hates you, and he hates marriage, and he hates the home because those were God's creations, and he looks to distort and twist and dilute and change, and that's why we have all of this sexual revolution going on in our country where marriage is being redefined and, 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 and children are told to be raised by some community. Satan is seeking to tear apart and like a lion, subtly and carefully devour and rip the family apart. He uses everything at his disposal to try and accomplish this. He uses music that glorifies sex, sin, and self. And he wants you to pipe that into your home. He wants you to listen to that on your radio. He wants you to listen to that in your headset. He wants you to promote that in front of your kids. He wants you to listen to music that is anti-God and secular. He wants to use movies to tear your family apart. Most children's movies today, and I'm not even talking about uh, movies that are rated R. I'm talking about a lot of movies that are rated PG. I'm talking about a lot of what comes on the Disney Channel, these movies they use, uh, they put out, they, uh, they have uh, uh, children being raised in single-parent homes. Single-parent homes. In fact, someone challenged me one time and said, of all the Disney movies that come out in the last 20 years, how many of them had a mother and a father who were present at the same time in the movie? And about the only movie I could come up with was The Incredibles. Every other movie... There may be another. I may be missing one, but 99% of the Disney movies that come out that are geared at kids have one parent in the home. You see the subtle message they're conveying to us? The television shows that come on TV today for kids. Dad is the biggest idiot on the show. If he's even present at all. Satan uses whatever he can to divide the family. How about politicians that pass laws that encourage couples to live together instead of getting married? I had a couple one time tell me, Pastor, I know we should get married. I know living together is a sin, but Pastor, if we got married, uh, the checks we get from the government would go down. That's how the laws work in this country. And if you think that that's not accurate, go look it up. I assure you it is. Culture at large. Hillary Clinton wrote a book many years ago entitled It Takes a Village. Can I tell you, and listen, depending on how the context of that statement, I would agree with that. 
It, it, listen, you raise your child in church. This is a quote-unquote village that's helping to get your child in the right direction. I'm great with that thought. But that was not the concept of her book. That was not the context of her book. The context of her book was, Mom and Dad, you truly don't completely own that child. The, the school needs to help you to raise it. And uh, the community needs to help you to raise it because we all take ownership in your child. I'm sorry, but one day when I stand before God to give an account for being a dad, God is not going to hold the teachers that taught Matthew and April accountable. He's not going to hold the pastors accountable. He's not going to hold the Sunday school teachers accountable. Me and my wife and me and my wife alone will stand before God and give an answer for how we raised our kids. It's time we quit passing the buck and, and, uh, of responsibility to everyone else to raise our kid. And we take personal ownership that we have a responsibility to raise our children to love God. Matthew, stand up for me. This young man right here means the world to me. I love this young man more than he'll ever understand, or at least until he has his own son. I do not own this young man. He is not mine. He belongs to God. One day, one day he's going to become an adult man. And I'm going to lose my parental day-to-day over him. But he'll still give an account to God. You listening this morning? Many times I've gone to his room right before he went to sleep, and I've looked at him and said, you're not mine, you're God's. You belong to God. You don't do what's right for my sake, you do what's right for his sake. Listen to me this morning. Satan wants nothing more than to take this pastor's kid and his sister and turn them into an example of how pastors don't know how to raise children. That's what he wants. It's a big target on his back. But guess what? There's a target on your child's back too because Satan wants to make an example of you and say, aha, you raised your kids in church and now they don't even love God. What, are Satan, what is Satan's invasion? He wants the heart of your children. Letter A, we see God's intention. Letter B, Satan's invasion. Letter C, notice parental intervention. Parental intervention. Dad and mom, listen to me this morning. There is a war of influence going on in your child's heart. There is a tug of war going on in your child's heart. The forces of righteousness and the forces of sin and iniquity and evil are seeking to pull your child in two different directions. Over here we have the land of wisdom and the prudent guide. Over here we have the land of foolishness and the scorner. And the scorner and the prudent are trying to grab hold of the heart of your child and write as much on there as they can and lead them in opposite directions. And I listen the pastor, and I pray you as a prudent guide, you want to take your child over here to the land of wisdom and get them to live for the Lord. But all the while, there are influences in your child's school. There are influences in music and movies and entertainment. There are influences in your neighborhood that want to grab hold of that heart of your child and lead them to the land of foolishness. You know who you are, parent? 
You are to be that prudent guide that grabs hold of their heart and leads them to do what's right and discredits in every way those influences that are sinful. Parents, we must show them. We must show them. Write this down. We must show them. Someone said, tell me and I'll forget. Show me and I'll understand. Involve me. And I'll remember. I'll do it. We must show them. Not only must we show them, we must speak to them. I love car rides with my kids. I love car rides when it's just me and Matthew or me and April. We'll go somewhere. And you know what I look for? I look for teaching times. I look for teaching opportunities. I look for that opportunity to not only uh, show them how to live, model them how to live, but articulate and explain to them why we believe what we believe. We must show them. We must speak to them. We must shelter them. We must shelter them. Oh, sheltering has got a bad rap. Many uh, years ago, I preached a sermon here entitled, How to Properly Shelter Your Children. And you can under-shelter and you can over-shelter, but listen, it's important that you shelter the right way. Now, when I was a uh, 12-year-old boy, 13-year-old boy, I got hired by my basketball coach, who was also a deacon in our church, and uh, he was uh, he was in charge of a, a fruit farm, and uh, uh, one of the fruits that we grew on that farm were strawberries. And uh, the way that worked was he would start the seedlings in a greenhouse. Brother Joe, if you'd put that picture up there for me there. And uh, this is a picture similar to that. He did not take the seeds and plant them outdoors because about the winter and springtime when they needed to be planted, it got cold enough in that part of Alabama where it would have completely killed off those seedlings when they were little and they would have never made it to fruition. But somewhere around March or April, when the weather began to change, we would go into the greenhouse and we would get these seedlings and we would transport them out into the field and we would plant them in the field and then about May, uh, about the middle of May, we would go out and then we would see this. Picture's coming. There it is. Ah, oh, the screen's down. Everybody turn around and look at the back screen. All right. There you go. That's what we'd see. And um, I didn't take that picture. I got that off the Internet. Okay, but that was pretty close to what we saw. Can you go back to the first picture? That's what started out in the greenhouse. All right, and then, and then that's what we saw in the field. Now, that's a visual to help you understand if you take a child, listen, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. If you take a child and you just say, well, I'm just going to, you know what, I'm just going to throw the world at them. Uh, I, I, we know the screens are doing some funny things. Try your very best to be disciplined and pay attention to what I'm saying. This is a vital part of the message, okay? We'll get the screens up and working in just a moment. All right, listen closely. If we say to a child... Uh, listen, you're going to learn it all anyway, and, 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 and you're going to be barraged with uh, the culture at large anyway. The younger they get it, the better. Man, you're like throwing the child out in the middle of that field in the middle of the winter and expecting him to survive. Boy, mom and dad, you are to shelter and prepare so that one day you can plant them in the real world and they'll make it. Some people say, oh, you were sheltered. Oh, how did you make it? You know... Um, and I've told this joke before, so laugh anyway, amen. But, uh, you know, you, I, I got married when I was 20, 23, I believe, 
And um, I did not pull up to the McDonald's drive-thru right out of dorms in the Bible college and getting married. I did not pull up to the McDonald's drive-thru and go, I don't know what to do. I was sheltered my whole life. And my wife patted me on the arm and said, it's okay, you can do it. I was able to function. I was able to pay my bills. I was able to put up with cursing at work. I was able to put up with dirty talk. I was able to put up with all kinds of sinful things around me and still believe the Bible and still do what was right. Shelter your kids. Listen, you parents in here that give your child a cell phone and don't put any, any limits on that thing, you're making a big mistake. Making a big mistake. These teenage boys that go through puberty and you hand them a cell phone with unlimited access to the Internet, what do you think they're doing with that cell phone? The same thing me and you would have done with it when they were, we were that age. The same thing that many grown men still do with it today. You hand that child that device. I remember the day, and I'm, I'm meddling, so I'm, I'm not going to stop now. <laughs> I remember the day when... Um, you know, when I was in high school, you'd finish school, and maybe you had a rough day at school, you're bullied, you're picked on, and uh, you'd leave school and you'd go home and you'd have 12 hours to catch your breath before you went back into school and had to deal with the barrage again. Now we hand junior high girls a cell phone and they get picked on at home on the internet, just like they did at school. There is no break. Or they're doing the bullying. You say, well, Pastor Lejeune, don't you think my kid needs a cell phone? No! I don't! There's a time and place at a certain age where it's appropriate to start giving your children some things and preparing them to know how to handle those when they hit the real world. But you be very, very, very mindful and careful. And if you're going to give your child access to the Internet, you better understand that it is a tool for both good and evil. And you better make sure you limit, you limit, you limit what they can see and do. You shelter, you protect, you intervene because you understand there is an evilness in this world that wants to grab the heart of your child and drag them out of church and drag them away from God and drag them into a life of sin and drag them into a life of addiction and drag them into a life of hurt. Mom and Dad, you are the watch, you are the prudent guide, you are to stand in the tower and you are to keep and protect your home. Parental intervention. Let me give you a number three here. Notice the ignorance of many parents. The ignorance of many parents. Take your Bibles over to Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs chapter 28, verse number 26. I commend the crowd at White Oak Baptist Church because I preach from my heart, I preach the truth. I preach some things that other preachers would never say, and you all keep coming back week after week. Look at verse 26. The Bible says, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. But whoso walketh wisely, carefully, circumspectly, whoso walketh wisely, he shall be delivered. Quickly, letter A. The ignorance of many parents, letter A. I can trust society. I can trust society. Vet every TV show your child watches. 
every single one. Sit and watch two, three, four episodes with them. Understand what they're watching, especially when they're young. Long time ago, my kids, I, I turned off Sesame Street. Not just because they, got, uh, they outgrew it. Listen, Sesame Street has become a tool to teach your kids all kinds of things that are anti-God and anti-Bible. My children watched a lot of Disney Junior when they were babies, but even some of those shows we turned off. And then when they got to the Disney XD level, we completely shut it off. I remember as a young man in ministry, I walked into the home of a family who were young in the Lord. And I'm not judging them. They were young in the Lord and did not understand many of these things. They had a teenage girl that was 7th, 8th grade. This was back in the day when Hannah Montana, Miley Cyrus, Hannah Montana was a big deal. He was showing, giving me a tour of the house, and I saw a Hannah Montana poster on the wall. And I cringed, and I thought, Hannah Montana is on her way to becoming the next Disney wash-up, the next Disney drug addict, the next Disney rehab. And lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. Understand that Disney takes teenage girls and chews them up and spits them out and ruins their lives. Oh, I'm not standing up here preaching against Disney. I'm preaching against the culture at large. And if you think that you can trust society, you're making a grave mistake. Those of you that have your kids, I don't care if it's a Christian school or a public school. Unless you're homeschooling your kids, you better keep careful watch eye over all of the materials that are put in front of your children. Again, I don't care if they go to a Christian school or a public school. You be involved in what your children are being taught. Because you will give an account one day. This attitude of I can trust society, you cannot trust anybody. The other ignorance of many parents is I can trust my child. Boy, just to keep it practical, your child's got no privacy. Now, they have privacy to change. Privacy to go to the bathroom and shower. But there should not be a lock on your child's door where they can lock you out. If my kid ever puts a lock on the door, I'm kicking the door down. And I'm not playing. There will be a hole in that door, and Brother Varro will be getting called to replace it. And I will not apologize for it. If you let your kids have a, a device that connects to the Internet, you better be going through that thing every day. Don't you let them take that thing to bed with them. You cannot trust your child. Recently, we put a new TV in our house, and I made sure to buy a TV that I could check and see if it's on for my cell phone no matter where I am. If I tell my children not to watch TV, I can open up my phone, and I can see whether or not that TV's on. And if it is, I can shut it off. You didn't know that, did you? You say, why'd you do that? Because I don't trust my kids. You say, why not? Because I know my heart. And I cannot even trust myself. Don't you blindly trust your kids. You'll wake up one day and say, how did my kid get where he got? You be involved and you know what's going on. 
Number four, and lastly, notice the intentions of godly parents. Look at verse number 23 of Hebrews chapter 11. Verse 23 of Hebrews 11. Let's read down through verse number 29. The Bible says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents. Notice their intentions here, their plan. Because they saw he was a proper child. They were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect under the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt. Egypt is a picture of the world and the sinful culture. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Though through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Verse 29 is the pinnacle of what Moses accomplished. The the most exciting miracle that God would use him to do by faith. They passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians is saying to do were drowned. You know, somewhere in that crowd of people that passed through the Red Sea as Moses stood there and held that rod up, somewhere was Moses' mom and dad. Can you imagine them walking by and seeing Moses stand there with his rod up and the Red Sea parted? Can you imagine the pride and joy in mom and dad's heart? When they thought, we had a plan. We worked the plan. And now he's serving God with his life. I want everyone to hear this. I don't believe God calls every young man and every young woman to become a preacher or a preacher's wife. I don't believe that. I think our churches have done a great disservice by trying to force kids to be preachers and preachers' wives when God did not call them to do that. But I do want everyone to understand this. God has a plan for each and every one of your children. It might be a pastor, pastor's wife, missionary, missionary's wife, Christian school teacher. It very well may be a lawyer or a doctor or an architect or a plumber or an electrician or a construction worker. I don't know what God will call your child to be, but I do know this. God wants your child to love him with all his or her heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they cannot do that unless mom and dad love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. You can't lead your children to do something that you're not already doing. Are you leading your children to love the Lord? Boy, that'll be evidenced in how much you read your Bible, how much you pray for them, and how faithful you are in taking them to church. Let's model a dedicated life to Christ so we can have children who are dedicated to the Lord. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. How many of you would would say, Pastor Lejeune, I know there was a day and time in my life where I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save me. I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven, not because I've been a good person, 
but because Jesus died for my sins on the cross and I put my faith in him. If that's your testimony, would you raise your hand? I know that I'm going to heaven someday. I've believed in Jesus to be my Savior. Many hands, not every hand, many hands. If you raised your hand, thank you. If you didn't raise your hand, thank you for being honest. Is there one here today that would say, Pastor Lejeune, if I were to die today, I do not know where I would spend eternity. I'd like to think I'd go to heaven, but I'm not 100% certain. If that's you and you're here today, I don't want to embarrass you in any way. That is never my intention to embarrass anyone. But I would like to pray for you. I would like to pray that you would get that sorted out with God. Is there one here today that would say, Pastor Lejeune, I do not know if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. Would you please pray for me? If that's you, in the privacy and quietness of the moment, would you just slip your hand up right where you are? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Is there one? I do not know if I were to die, I'd go to heaven. I don't see any hands. I hope that means everyone here has trusted Christ for salvation. How many here today would say, Pastor Lejeune, would you pray for me that I would do my part, those of you that are married, we would do our part to raise our children to love the Lord. Pastor Lejeune, pray for us that we would model for them a life and service to the Lord. Grandparents in the room today, how many of you would like to raise grandchildren and have an influence for grandchildren that love the Lord? If that's you and you're here today, would you just slip up your hand? Pray for me that I'll model Christian behaviors of loving God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. Lord, today would you take the message and help us to make the changes as your Spirit so leads. Lord, I said some things today that were emphatic and strong. Some of them were preferential and opinion-based. Lord, we, we, will, we all need to let the dust settle in our heads and our hearts. Spirit of God, we need to let you lead us into the proper model within our home. But above all, the, 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 the little details categorically help all of us to love you with all of our hearts. Help all of us to show our children what it means to be in love with God. Lead our kids to do so. Lord, work in our hearts this morning. Move amongst us. Convict where conviction is needed. Encourage where those who are downtrodden and need encouragement.